So I'm really excited for this series. I've been telling our team, we've been praying over this series. Um, very excited about it because I don't know if there's better news that I could preach on than what we're going to talk about tonight. And so in that heartbeat, in that mindset, I just want to thank you for coming. It is an honor to bring God's word before you because in this, this book that we call the Bible is life and it is truth. And whatever battle we're fighting, whatever war we're waging, whatever valley we may be in or mountaintop we're experiencing, this word of God brings life and joy and peace. And I could not be more privileged to be the young adult pastor here at Crossings to talk with you and meet with you every week and for a lot of you every Sunday morning and getting God's word because there's nothing better. So with that said, if you are new tonight and this is your first time, I know Mary Ashton and Kai said earlier, but welcome. We are really, really excited that you're here because we've been praying for you. Whether you know that or not, whether we've been praying for you by name or not, that is okay. God knows your name and we've been praying for you for years. And so I don't believe that tonight any of you are here by mistake. I believe that God brings his people together for a purpose and that when he sends his purposes out when his word goes out it does not return to him void and so I come tonight expectant that God is going to meet with you he's going to meet with me and it, when we worship here in another 20 well that's that's generous 30 minutes you know I can't do 20 minutes but man I can't wait because what we're going to get into leads us and sets us up to worship and give praise to God so let me pray and let's get into this. Lord, I just want to thank you for this night, God. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for every person here. Because, uh, God, I know that you took nine months to make every single person here. Nine months. You put them together. You gave them their hair. You gave them the color of their eyes. And you gave them their personality. And you gave them life and you breathed life into them, God. So I know that every person here is precious to you. So, God, I pray you'd speak through your word tonight, right where we are at, that we would walk out of here changed and transformed with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So I pray you'd, you'd meet us here and you'd do something great in your son's name, amen. So we're in January 2019. I cannot believe we're in 2019. I feel like every year it goes faster and faster, but here we are. And this is the season where some of you have made resolutions, Correct. How many resolution people do we have in here? Like you, you've done it before or you're currently, come on, don't be ashamed, come on. Who, is, who, who are our resolution people? Fantastic. Who are, I will never, I'm not gonna go into our, that, culture's not gonna tell me what to do every January. Like who's that? Who, you're not, I'm not, okay, that, that's me. I'm not gonna get into that because honestly, I tried it when I was younger, it didn't go so well, so you know what, we're just gonna forget it. We're just gonna enjoy January, New, New Year. But I am married to someone her name is Taylor, and she is a New Year's resolution person. And I get to watch as she embarks on these journeys. Um, and she's, man, I, I admire her. The things that she comes up with, um, I am not man enough to even embark on. And so this year, let me give you an example of one. Uh, she has decided, she did this last year, and she did great, um, to do a sugar fast. Uh, and if you're an American, you know that is nearly impossible. Because everything in America has sugar. But she, she's doing it. And first week, now last year, I'll, I'll tell you this, the first week was rough last year because her mother was in town. 
and helping take care of our kids. And her mother accidentally, for the first three days of her sugar fast, made decaf coffee in the morning, unbeknownst to her. So not only did she do a sugar fast, she did a caffeine fast all at the same time. It was wonderful. <laughs> there's her laugh in the back. She knows. Uh, but this year, she's like, I'm going to do it again. It was great. I felt great. I'm going to do it. It was good for me. I'm like, great. You do that. And of course, one, of, one or two of our kids are like, I'm going to do it too. I'll do it with you. I'm like, no, you're seven. You don't need to do a sugar fast. And about two hours into it, they're done. Okay. Um, but this year, there was one particular day. I believe it was a Wednesday. I think it's a Wednesday, maybe a Thursday. Taylor's having a great day. Some things happened in our family that were really exciting. And she, I could just tell she was in a fantastic mood. I called her around noon, like, how are you doing? She's like, I'm doing great. I did this. And she's like, oh, by the way, I'm at the gas station. Um, I, I, where's, where's the air pressure thingy? Do we have that in the car? I'm like, what are you talking about? What? what? Because if you know my wife, this is not something she typically does, okay? I'm the car guy. I'm the gas. I'm the oil pressure, all that stuff. And she's like, I want to I put air in my tire. I'm like, oh, man, oh, you are having a good day. You're feeling good. And so she's having a great day. She puts air in the tire. She takes care of the car. She goes home. She's knocking some stuff out for her, for her business that she runs out of our house. And, and she's accomplishing a lot. And then I get a call around like 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. And my wife is just dying laughing on the other side of the phone. And I'm like, what? She's like, you would not believe what just happened. I'm like, what? I'm like, are you you're still having a great day? I'm like, yeah, I'm still having a great day. But, but Andy, and she starts telling me all the things she's doing that day. And she's about three, probably two and a half, three weeks into her sugar fast. And she's like, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting all this stuff done. And then next thing you know, out of nowhere, I find myself in front of the refrigerator with a mouthful of whipped cream and the whipped cream can in my hand. I'm like, what? I'm like, aren't you on a sugar fast? She's like, yes, I am. I don't, what, what am I doing? What is wrong with me? Because she was doing so good. And she was having such a great day that it was like, what is happening? Who am I? What am I doing? And we had a great laugh about it. And I'm like, well, you might as well go have a Coke and some ice cream and just get it all done with. And she's like, no. She's very, very good. She's like, nope, I'm gonna, that's not going to derail me. I probably would have used it as an excuse. She's like, well, that was a good try, you know, but Taylor, she's much better. And she, she's like, no, I'm back on it. But here's why I share that story. Because she said something in that conversation that just stuck with me. Specifically, when I was getting ready for this talk, she said, and, and she was laughing when she said it. She's like, what's wrong with me? And I thought, you know what? I've asked that before, not with whipped cream, but with a lot of other decisions I've made in my life. Maybe it's a resolution, maybe it's just a new season, like, hey, I'm going to do some things different, and I start making some progress, I get 10 steps forward, and then I take 20 steps back all of a sudden out of nowhere. I'm like, what am I doing? Maybe, maybe for, for you, it's like that, that tape that runs like, what? why can't I get myself together? <laughs> like, why can't I do this? Why can't I put my mind in something and just do it? But instead, taking all these rabbit trails and curves in the road, Maybe for you, it's, the, it's, the, it's that feeling that's like, I'm just not whole. Something's missing. Or maybe we can go even farther and maybe a little deeper into the recesses of our minds and our souls. And it's that voice that whispers, am I just a fraud? Am I just fake? Am I just truly living the fake it till I make it mentality? Because I think our human condition, that's part of who we are. Those questions like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get my stuff together? 
And so tonight we're going to talk about our most pressing problem and the best possible solution to that problem. Because guess what? There is a problem. Something isn't right. And we all know it. We can look around our world and we see how our world treats each other and acts and speaks. And and we're like, what is wrong with the world? (laughs) We feel it. Every day when we wake up. And so tonight, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you're new to the gathering, I want to encourage you to bring two things every week. That is your Bible, and I want you to bring a notebook. Because hopefully what we're doing every week is we're equipping you in your faith. We're going to gather, but not just to have fun and, and make friends. We're going to gather together so that we can equip ourselves in our faith, and we can walk through this life, and we can fight our battles, and we can walk faithfully through this world and find the victory that Christ offers. And I don't know about you, but I need to write this, some of that stuff down, because I don't, I, don't, I don't remember much past five minutes ago. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And where we are in Romans chapter, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul, who wrote, wrote 80% of the New Testament. He's writing to a group of people in Rome, thus the name Romans. Ironically, he's never met these people. He's writing to a church in Rome that he has never met. But there's a really big reason why he's writing them, because Rome in this day is like New York City. It's like Paris. It's like Beijing. It is the biggest city in the region, and everything goes through Rome. Rome sets the style, it sets the philosophies, it's the politics, everything. The fashion starts there, the politics start there, the trends start there. And so he knows that this particular church in Rome is going to have an opportunity to be influential, not just in Rome, but in the entire world. Because everything starts in Rome. And so he's writing this letter called Romans. Many theologians call this book And specifically this chapter, Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible. A 20th century preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this chapter of Romans, it is one of the brightest gems of all. Someone has said that in the whole of all the scriptures, the brightest and most lustrous and flashing stone or collection of stones is the book of Romans. And that chapter 8 is the brightest gem in the cluster of all of the gems. This is it. This is the greatest chapter in the Bible according to many a theologian. And so I'm really excited to get into it. But Romans 8 is a steak dinner, okay? And so in order to get ready for the steak dinner, and we're going to spend the next five weeks going through the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8, we've got to set the table first for the feast, all right? We've got to set, the, it's like Thanksgiving dinner. We've got to get all the good stuff out. We've got to set the table so we know what's happening. <laughs> Excuse me. So, We're going to actually start a couple verses back in Romans chapter 7. Because Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 set up Romans chapter 8. Okay? So follow me here. We're going to read through chapter 7, verse 15 through 24. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see Paul talking about his persistent problem. That problem that we just talked about. That something just ain't right. What is going on? What's wrong with me? Why can't I get my act together? Follow me. In verse 15, Romans chapter 7, he starts out with a fantastic little line here. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. What's wrong with me? I I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's what he's saying. For I do not do what I want, 
but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21, so I find this law, this principle, that when I want to do right, evil is right there with me. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks, Paul. What a way to start the gathering 2019, huh? Paul's got a problem. And this is my first point. The problem that Paul's talking about is sin. The problem is sin. And you can feel Paul's frustration, can't you? Like he's kind of talking over himself like, why do I do the things I don't want to do? The things I do, I don't do. And the things I hate, I do. What is wrong with me? Why can I not get my stuff together? He's saying, listen, I delight in the things of God in my inner being, but I I don't have the ability to carry it out because my body, my flesh is weak. I cannot do it. And so you see this battle back and forth, back and forth. I love these words from Paul because when I read them, I think, man, Paul gets me. (laughs) Paul gets me, man. I feel that. I know that. I know that life. I know the things of God and I want to do the things of God. I want to live out his purposes, but sometimes I just can't do it. Because let's be honest, we do this stuff all the time. All right, let me, let me start off small. Like, I know one of my favorite things in the entire world that is good, things are good and right when I do this. When I can get up before the sun comes up, and I can get up and my house is quiet, and I pull out my Bible, and I go sit in the chair, and my kids are still asleep, and I get some time with the Lord to start my day. I know I know without a shadow of a doubt that is the best way for me to start my day. You know why? Because when I do that, my kids wake up and I'm welcoming to them. I'm glad to see them. When they wake me up, I'm not so glad to see them. And I'm not excited about talking to them. And I'm not a great dad in that moment. Because their first interaction with their dad in the morning when I don't wake up is rejection. But when I know when I get up, and I get in God's word, and I set myself up right for the day, I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better friend, I'm a better son. And so I know what I should do. I know what I want to do. But more often than not, my alarm goes off, I look at it, and I push snooze. Nine more minutes. Nine more minutes. I do the very thing that I do not want to do. And I know that's a big deal because snooze button's not a sin. You're like, Andy, that's no big deal. What are you talking about? Whoa, easy, calm down. But here's, the, here, here's what Paul's talking about is that is in us. 
And that little innocent thing about a snooze button, doing the thing I do not want to do and doing the very thing I don't want to do is in us. And that extrapolates into other areas of our life. And it includes disobedience and rebellion from God. That I know what I'm to do. I know that the right thing to do is, and I don't do it. In fact, I choose the opposite. I know in my heart and in my head what I should be doing, why I should do it. And I choose not to do it. And I don't know what that is for you, but I guarantee you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every single one of us knows the thing that gets us, the thing that when, when we're offered to it, we find that battle and we never know which way it's gonna go. I may, I may surrender that moment to the Lord or I may just indulge my flesh and say, you know what, here we go. I know this feeling, I think we all know this feeling. It's called our sin nature, that's the problem. We were born into a slavery to sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. That's what we're born into. We call it the sin nature because it's natural for us. We do not have to try hard to sin. It comes easy. I do not teach my kids to lie. I do not teach my kids to manipulate. I don't teach my kids to be selfish. They just are fantastic at it. <laughs> They're really good at it. Poor babysitter that's with them tonight. But that's who they are. And I, but I still love them. But our sin nature comes natural. And that's what Paul is talking about. That I know what God wants, but this is what my flesh wants. And so there's this waging of war going on inside of him. There's this thing back in the Middle Ages called the debtor's prison. And it's this, this idea of if you owe money and you cannot pay, they will physically put you in prison. And you cannot get out until you pay the debt. Well, there's an innate problem there, isn't there? If you're in prison, how are you going to make money to pay to get out of prison? You're in prison. You're not bringing in income. That's our situation. When we are born into this world, scriptures tell us that we are born into sin. We have a sin nature, and we are in a debtor's prison. And what Paul is struggling with, he's like, I want to get out. I want to get out, but I can't do it. I can grind, I can, I can grit my teeth, I can work hard, I can try and try and try, but something's not right. I can't do it. And too often we believe that that problem isn't sin. In fact, what, our, what, what we like to do is we like to project out that actually the problem is out there. The world we live in, the culture we live in, somebody else. And let's be honest, there are people that have sinned against you in horrendous, terrible ways that affect you beyond our, your wildest imagination. Okay, I'm not going to discount that. That you've been sinned against, people have wounded you, and, you, and that's sin. But at the same time, we like to pretend, well, if I was just in a different situation, I wouldn't struggle with that. If I was just married, I wouldn't struggle with that. If I was just whatever, if I was just a just, we like to project that the problem is out there. And what Paul is saying is, no, the problem is in here. In verse 17, we see this truth, and it's hard. This is a hard and humbling and difficult reality that Paul speaks about. He says, it is the sin that dwells in me. That is the problem. That's my problem. And it echoes earlier in Romans, in Romans 3.23, where he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, Paul's frustration is there, 
is there because he knows that his efforts alone will never lead him to perfect righteousness before a perfect and holy God. That his sin separates him from, from the Lord. Garden of Eden, they sin and God has to say, oh, exit out east of Eden. East of Eden you go, I cannot be with you. You have sinned, I am holy, we have to separate. Our sin separates us from God. And that's the hard and humbling reality of verse 17. Is that there is a sin that dwells within me. But here's the good news. Couple things of good news. Number one, the struggle that we have as believers is evidence of your faith in Christ. If you don't struggle, you need to question whether you have faith in Christ. Because the Bible says that when you get, put your faith in Jesus, he dwells within you. His spirit dwells within you. And we call it in the church world conviction of sin. That if there is no struggle, if you're like, I can do this, this isn't, what's the big deal? No big deal. We have to have some serious questions whether you have put your faith in Jesus. Because with faith comes conviction. And so, Christian, if you are a Christian, the struggle is actually confirmation that you are his. That you are his. But I want you to listen carefully to this. If we struggle with this idea, I can't get my act together. There's something wrong with me. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus is all about the people who can't get their act together. That is who he's for. That's who he's seeking. That's who he came to die for. The people that can't get their act together. That's why he came. In this book called Imperfect Disciple, Jared Wilson says this, Paul feels caught, trapped, like the corpse of his old life is still hanging on to his ankle and he can't move on. He's tried pulling himself by, by his bootstraps, but he got them tangled around his neck and now he's choking to death. I love that description because that's where we live. Well, just deal with it. Be more disciplined. Try harder. But Paul's despair boils over in verse 24. He's, this war that he's waging is boiling over. Verse 24, he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And now we're about to turn the greatest corner in all of eternity. Because I'm done talking about sin. It's terrible. It's depressing. So we're going to turn a corner to the greatest, most wonderful news in the entire world. He says, he asks a great question. I have a problem. I have a problem, and it's the sin that dwells in me. Who can help me? And all of a sudden, it's like this light bulb, like a cartoon. It's like, bing. And Paul says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is. Jesus. He's the solution. And that's my second point tonight. If our problem is sin, Jesus is the solution. He's our sin bearer. The solution is our sin bearer. The one that took our sin, put it on himself, and defeated it. And forgave it. And wiped it clean. Because he knew who you would be. And he knew who I would be. He knew what you would do. And he knew what I would do. And now our struggle has hope, and his name is Jesus. 
The solution is our sin bearer. Jesus is the sin bearer. Jesus is the solution. Because he lived the life we cannot live. He died the death we could not die. He paid the price we could not afford. He is the atonement, the reparation, the satisfaction of the debt of sin that we owe. We are in the debtor's prison. And Jesus said, I will come and I will pay your debt. Because the debtor's prison, the only way they could get out was if someone from outside the prison came in and paid it. And on the cross of Christ, Jesus paid your debt and he paid my debt and he opened the gate and he said, now you are set free. Come, come live life to the full. The hope, our hope is in Christ. But too often, just like our problems, we believe a myth about our solutions. Just like we have a myth about what the problem actually is. It's out there, it's not in here. No, that's a myth. The problem is in here. Our solution, we do the same thing. We too often believe, and maybe you in this room believe this, that you know what, I wouldn't struggle if I was just in a better situation. My hope is me in a better situation. If I just wasn't where I'm at now, we'd be good. If I wasn't by myself anymore, if I could just get married, we'd be good. If I could just get a job that I loved, I'd be good. You see, when we believe that, we believe that our solution is actually a situation and that you, in that situation, is your Savior. And some of us believe that gospel. That actually my Savior is just me in a better situation. And that's not the case. Because Paul, and we won't get into it, but Paul, dude, if somebody could live a self-disciplined life, it was Paul. That was his whole life before Jesus, was following 613 rules, and he did it. You see, the solution is not me, and it's not you. It's Jesus. It's our sin bearer. It's the what, if I could just mentality. If I could just this. Fill in that blank for you and see if that doesn't reveal where your salvation really lies. Your hope really lies. If I could just blank, I'd be good. And Paul says, no, 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 no. What a wretched man I am. I know who I am. I know what I do. I know what I think. I know my motivations. And that ain't cutting it. Because I know that I serve a holy and perfect God. And I know that I am not that. You see, it is the grace of Jesus Christ that not only saves us, but it is also what empowers us and sets us free from the power of sin in our lives. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about that waging war. How do we wage war on sin to see victory? Instead of just talking about, oh, Jesus has got it. I love Jesus. No, no. There's a war that's being waged in Paul's life, and there's a war that's being waged in our life. And next week, we're going to talk about how do we wage war. Tonight, we're just talking about our position in Christ. Our position in Christ. You see, Jesus is the sin bearer. He came to bear your sin, to pay the price, to set you free from the debtor's prison. He did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to set you free from the sin that has caught you. You see, our sin declares us guilty before a perfect and holy God, but Jesus declares you and I, when our faith is in Jesus, innocent. And that brings me to my last point. If the problem is sin, 
and the solution is our sin bearer, then the verdict in Christ is our innocence from sin. And these are maybe the three greatest verses in the entire Bible. Follow me here. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1, 2, and 3. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. When we are in Christ, when we have put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is the one who has paid the penalty for my sin, you are no longer deemed guilty, you are deemed innocent. No condemnation. You've been released from the debt. Jesus has paid your debt. And he has made you right with God. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those whose faith is in Christ. What wonderful news. It's not on your shoulders. It's not on you to be all good. It's not on you to fix all the problems. It's not on you to live a perfect life. It's not on you. It's on Jesus And he died on the cross, and his last words were, it is finished. I have paid the debt. They are free. And all of a sudden, our problem of sin is no longer a problem because there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Verse 1 tells us that. Verse 2 tells us that there's a new law in town. Before Jesus, it was about behavior. It was about earning salvation and making reparations for our sin. That's the Old Testament law. That every year you would go and you give a sacrifice for the abolition or the, the, uh, whatever the word is, for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus brings in a new law that overtakes the old law and that old law is done. And the new law is grace and mercy. And forgiveness. Verse 1 says there's no condemnation. Verse 2 says that there's a new law that's introduced. And verse 3, did you catch this? This is wonderful, wonderful news. Verse 3, it starts with four words that just soak them in, people. Soak them in. Verse 3 of chapter 8 says, For God has done. He's the one that's doing it, not you. He's the one that paid the price, not you. He has done it. It wasn't your effort. It wasn't your church attendance. It wasn't your Bible reading schedule. It wasn't your prayer schedule. It wasn't your service schedule. It wasn't any of that stuff. It wasn't your tithe. It wasn't any of that. God has done. It was his activity on our behalf that we may be set free from the bondage of sin. And I'll tell you what, he follows that up with something that was an epiphany to me later in my life. It says this, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his, son, his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You are not condemned. 
Sin is condemned. Jesus did not come to condemn you. He came to condemn sin. Because he knows that sin destroys his kids. I don't care what it is. If my kids get into it and it's bad for them, I'm going to be against that thing with everything I've got because I love my children. And you are God's kid. And as a, as, as a little boy, as a teenager, here's what I heard. This is how I heard it. Maybe you're, you're me. What I heard was, God hates sin. You are a sinner. Therefore, God hates you. Or at least disappointed in you. That's what I heard. And that's what I believed for a long time. So guess what I did? I tried as hard as I could to do Romans 7. To get sin out of my life as hard as I could. I tried to be as good as I could. I was the goody two-shoes of goody two-shoes. I was the, the youth group. I tried to do everything I could to get rid of sin. And guess what I found? I found myself in the exact same place that Paul finds himself. I can't do it. This is exhausting. I can't do it. That's why I love these words. These words are words of freedom. They are words of life. They are words of hope and joy. That it is not on you. God has done, and he has condemned sin. He has not condemned you. Instead, what he has done is Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and who are burdened, and you will find rest for your souls, because rest for your souls means being with Jesus and following him and letting him fight your battles. We'll talk about that more next week. But this is the gospel, people. This was news to me that Jesus came to set me free because my tendency as a human is to condemn myself over and over. I talked to myself, you idiot. How could you do that? I can't believe you did that. Do you remember? Like, that's, that's what I am. And that's Satan's job description. He is called in Revelations the accuser. And his job is to accuse you over and over and over for something that God has already said not guilty. Isn't that crazy? That's what he does. He reminds you and he reminds me of all the things that we've done wrong, where we've fallen short, and where we've failed. And he says, fraud. Fraud. He doesn't really love you. You need to try harder. And Romans 8 says, nope. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are set free. He has unlocked the debtor's prison. He has swung the door open and he said, let's go. Follow me. And here's what's crazy. I too often choose to get back in prison because that's where I found comfort for way too long. And I run back to what I'm familiar to and I run back to what I think will be my temporary solution. But what I'm doing is I'm continually putting myself into a prison that I've already been set free from. It makes no sense, but that's what we do. Our tendency is to self-condemn, but Jesus says, no, you're not condemned. So the problem is our sin. The solution is our sin bearer. The verdict is our innocence from sin in Christ. So what do we do with this? I, I racked my brain. I was like, what, what, can, what steps could I give these people to say, hey, go do this. Here, this is it. This is it. Two things. One, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Do not forget your position in Christ. You are forgiven. That's where you are. 
That's who you are. You are hidden in Christ. And when God looks at you as a Christian, he sees Jesus. The Bible tells us that we're hidden in him. Because he went before us, before the judge, and said, hey, this one's on me. I already took care of him. Our responsibility is to put our faith in Jesus, to surrender to Jesus, to say, I'm tired of being the boss of me. I'm, try- I'm tired of trying to keep it all together. I'm tired of failing. God, I need you. I need you. And here's the funny thing. I'm going to say this again next week, just so you know. The way that we come to faith in Christ is the exact same way we live out the Christian life. It doesn't change. We come to faith in Christ by humbly coming, repenting, confessing that I need you. I cannot do it. I need you, Jesus. Come in and change me from the inside out. And the way that we live the Christian life, and this is, again, we're going to talk more about this next week, is do the same thing every day, every hour of your life. God, I need you. I need you. I can't do this. I need you. The same way we come to Christ is the same way we live out our faith. And so every day we wake up and we drift naturally into a Romans 7 reality. Because our default when we feel guilty, our default when we feel shame, our default is to do better, to try harder, to do more, to get back into church, to start serving more. And we keep doing this over and over and over because we're like, I feel bad. I needed to go do something. No, 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 no. That's Romans 7 stuff. You need to stop and you need to move to Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because we know what we should do. We know what we desire to do. We know what we need to do. But we end up doing what we shouldn't do. We end up doing what we don't want to do. We end up doing what we don't need to do. And we, like Paul, are enslaved to this weak body. We are here. This ain't going anywhere. I got to live with this. And so I am going to wage war every day because my sin nature is still there. It's still there. Let me finish with this. The world we live in tells us that the problem is out there and that the solution is within you. Just read another book. Go serve some more. Be nicer. That's our world. Our world says, that's the problem. You and me, actually the solution is just deep down in there. You just got to find it. Got to work harder. Got to do better. Rise and grind. Let's go. But the Bible says that the problem is in here. And the solution is out there. And his name is Jesus. And here's the most wonderful thing is that Jesus, the solution, would like to come in here and take up residence and make all things new. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has come to set you free from our problem of sin. So here's what I want to do. We're going to go back into worship here in a second, but before we do that, if you're new tonight, this is what we do. We're going to give you some time, we're going to give you some space, about two minutes, to marinate and soak in Romans 7 and Romans 8. Look at your notes. Spend a little bit of time praying. Just let let the Lord work with you. We're not going to sing. We're just going to sit. And in the back of the room, as always, we have our prayer team back there. If you want to pray, 
If you need prayer with the war that you're waging, go back and let them pray with you. They would love, they would be honored to do that. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've just been trying to be good. That if I can just be good enough, if I can just do more good than bad, then I think I'll be good. Be sure. Don't leave it to chance. You have no idea if you'll be sitting here next week. And Jesus' invitation is ready for you right now. Come to me. Give your life to me and watch me work. Watch me transform you. Watch me renew you. Watch me give you a hope that this world does not offer. If that's you and you got questions, man, come talk to me afterwards. I'll be down front. Come talk to our prayer team in the back. They would love to talk with you about the gospel of Jesus, what it is, what it means. But this is why we worship. We don't worship to make ourselves feel better. We worship because we serve a God who saw our greatest need and he sent his very own son to be the solution and to bear our sin on the cross so that we would no longer be under condemnation. We'd be free. You wanna be free tonight? You wanna be free tomorrow morning? Don't miss this opportunity. Go talk to our people, come talk to me. Let me pray. God, thank you for choosing mercy over judgment. Thank you for choosing grace over wrath. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for bringing in and ushering in a new law. Thank you for condemning sin and not me. Thank you. God, what the idea that we would gain from what you have done, a perfect and holy God, is just unbelievable that we would gain our eternity because of your love for us. God, we know we're going to battle. And we know we're going to wake up tomorrow morning in a Romans 7 world where we're going to be tempted to find the solution within ourselves. God, strengthen us to find our solution and our hope and our joy in you every day, every hour, every minute. God, I pray for those who are here tonight who have never given their life to Jesus, who don't know what it means to follow Jesus. God, I pray that you would move in them. You give them boldness to talk to someone. You give them the courage to surrender tonight to you. God, I pray for the Christians in this room that constantly run to being busy and active Christians because they want to be better and they want to be a good Christian. They want to be a, a better Christian. And God, secretly inside of us, our desire is to perform for you, that you might be happy with us. God, I pray that you would kill that in us, that we would rest in the fact that we are found whole and complete just as we are, humbled and repentant before you. So God, I pray you'd speak to us in these next two minutes. Do work in us that we would be different leaving tonight than when we came. In your son's name, amen.